everyone. Welcome back again to the Public Truth Podcast. If you're watching us on the screen, you can see my bobble-headed friend, Tom West. And we're joined from our home offices via Zoom with one another. Thomas, how's it going on Summerfield Ave today? Can you hear me now? No. Speaking Can you hear me now? Yeah, speaking to the mic. Modern technological woes. Hey, Daniel, it's great to see you, man. It's been nice to see you on a few government-sanctioned visits in these uh, last few days, but it's also good to see you right here on the screen, man. Like always, I'll take what I can get. Gosh, thank you, man. You have such a generous heart. I appreciate that. Um, we're going to get into the topic in just a minute, and it's one that we both really enjoy talking about. And it's super relevant for the moment, but until we get into it, let's let's do the, the check-in like we do, and uh, let us know how you guys are doing. Um, I guess we're nine weeks in now to lockdown, some some minor reliefs throughout it. How's it going? Yeah, it's going all right. Uh, joined you this last week with a with a bike purchase, so now we got wheels and we can move around. Hopefully we'll be able to get an early morning bike ride in oh. and go see, oh. see this place we love and go pray over it. Oh. And then, uh, man, we'll, we'll be able to navigate and get around our neighborhood. So feeling good on that and excited. Also, happy Friday, my guy. Uh, I guess mainly our wives have led us through another week. And now we have, which break is this? What are we calling this? I forget. This is term break. And did you say term fry, Friday? Fry-yay, fry-yay. I'm going to hold off on that. Maybe we'll do a performance one day. Yeah. We're glad it's Friday. I think we're warming up the remnants of Taco Tuesday oh. uh, tonight. Oh. And then um, just just a massive bag of taking it easy, man. Just trying to trying to relax a little. So what do you great. got? This sounds great. We, we have no plans for the weekend, which is... Sounds amazing. It's gonna be gonna be awesome. Um, may try to see some friends out and about in healthy, socially distanced ways. Um, but uh, overall, looking forward to a, a church session on Saturday afternoon and getting some good rest, allowing the kids to shut off from school for a little bit. It's gonna be really, really nice. It'll be good for all, man. It'll be good for all. Any big developments for you guys in the last week? I know that was pretty much an update right there, but anything else to note? Big development is that we we had been holding off on purchasing flights to head back to see family in the States for a few weeks in the summer, um, just not knowing what the airplane industry was going to do. And we finally pulled the trigger and got some awesome deals on some flights. So uh, we're going to head back during the kids summer break for school. And we're looking forward to seeing family for a few weeks. My in-laws just moved into a new house. So it'll be cool to see that. And, uh, and my brother and sisters and their spouses and children, we will all be together for the first time, probably two years, uh, maybe more than that. So it'll be really nice to, to be together. Man, long overdue. That'll be that'll be such a refreshing time. And you guys are hoping to go, um, I guess mid mid later mid July into a little bit of August. Is that right? That's right. Late late July into 
into early August. So uh, be back in time to be back adjusted here by the time school starts in some form or fashion, first uh, of September. Some people would say that sounds very sensible. I'm going to say, man, that sounds awesome. That sounds great, man. I'm really excited about you guys. Gosh, you man, makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. Anything you need to add on your side before we get into it? Excited about going stateside as well. Uh, some circumstances around um, officiated a wedding mid-July. We're actually going to slip out around the 1st of July to spend some time in quarantine, uh, work remote uh, for two weeks, and then switch off mid-July to early August. Really looking forward to seeing family and friends and just taking it easy. No complaints on the weather with how sunny and beautiful it's been around no here. No complaints. Though, these, uh, these last couple. It's Zero. amazing. Zero complaints. I'm about this life. You know what? Pretty if sure you, the, if the you did complain, heavens hang on, hang on, to this. hang Go on. Ahead. If Go you ahead. Did, I'm listening. If you, if you did complain, I wouldn't listen to you either. Golly. I'm so, tired. I'm so tired of listening to you complain. Man. Wow. Well, let's find something that uh, we really don't have a whole lot of complaints about. Yes. That's, uh, that's God, sports, and uh, some favorable aspects of the public square. I think man. those are the topics for today. Daniel, why don't you take us on the, the road into this, man? Set it up for us. Yeah, in, in three words, you just set it up for us. Um, we're actually looking at, uh, we're, we're recording on, on Friday, the 22nd of May. And we're looking at an article that came out in the sports section of today's Times newspaper. Um, you, you can see it right there on your screen. Jurgen Klopp being being raised high. Um, the the title of the article is "Having God in a Squad." Speaking of a sports squad, is no longer mocked. And uh, and the writer, who's the chief sports writer for the Times, Matt. Dickinson's uh, has has an interview um, with a guy named Grand Daniels, who I've had the cool opportunity to meet a few times, and he runs an organization, a charity called Christians in Sport here in the UK. Uh, he he was a footballer uh, for uh, in in Cambridge back in uh, a couple of decades ago, and uh, and now is in management with the team, but. Uh, but, but it kind of tracks how uh, three to four decades ago, at least in the UK, uh, religion wasn't looked favorably, favorably upon in sport, especially high-level sport. And it seems like at least the contention in this article is that that's changing. So that's the basics of the article. Brings up some really interesting ideas that I think will be fun for us to talk about as this is a dialogue on church and culture. That's fantastic, Daniel. I guess the issue of uh, the public square is, 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 uh, is close at hand or some would even say a foot. Um, <laughs> this issue of, uh, <laughs> I can't tell if that's a genuine laugh or not. And I'm really encouraged. It's not. I'm so sorry for myself. Um, you know, one of the – a contribution from a guy you might have heard of named Leslie Newbigin when he was providing a theological analysis of what was going on in uh, modern European culture, um, late 70s and in the 80s. 
part of his diagnosis is he says um, like the, the public conversation really is suffering from a fracture. And that's a fracture at the core where people are buying into the temptation to try to separate public facts from private values. Mm-hmm. And Newbegin was one of the first to the, was one of the first, you know, responding um, to, to the scene of the disaster and just saying, this, this is never going to work. It's going to make like public policy. It's going to make even adjudicating between the, what, what's real and what's not incredibly difficult we are going to have to have a means of, of um, not separating the, the private and the public facts from values. We're going to have to have a, a means of actually learning to have conversations with each other and appreciating things about each other, even that are different. So I think a lot of this conversation, like you just, like, uh, you just summarized for us in this article, it actually goes back to some things that Newbegin was able to recognize in his analysis. Um, it's basically the story of trying to separate. Well, look, all you are is a footballer. So you just come out here and you just play and don't bring any of those private beliefs into this. Um, those, those, those things are separate. And it's almost like uh, people tried to pick your illustration, put a dividing wall between the two or to dill, dig a ditch or a chasm that would keep the two separate and what I'm really excited about right here, it seems like our cultural moment is, is, is drawing into a place where we're just saying, you know what, it's really, it's really just not possible to keep these two things separated. I actually think that's a lot to be excited about, regardless of your religion, worldview, or philosophical background. That's really good setting it up for us, man. Let, let's pull on the string a little bit and, and clarify what we are talking about and what we are not talking about. Uh, what this article is bringing up is sport, in particular faith in sport, particularly high-level professional sport. Um, but it seems that the conversation that you just brought up, faith in the public square, it, it does apply. If, you, if you'd like to refer to sport as an industry, it does apply to the industry of sport. Uh, it actually applies to, to government and politics because uh, Matt Dickinson, the writer, opens up with uh, a political conversation to, to set up his article. He, he quotes a guy named Alistair Campbell who says, we don't do God in, in response to Tony Blair, who is obviously the, the prime minister when he was asked, when Tony Blair was asked about faith, the response is, Prime Minister, we don't do God, uh, mm. meaning politicians. We we don't do God, and it, it's it's true true in politics. This this conversation has significant um, uh, weight in politics. Has significant weight, obviously, in sport and, and really anywhere people gather and do what they do. We we're going to get to to the crux of the issue in just a minute, but but it's significant, not just only for sport, but, but across places where people gather and people communicate and, and people share ideas, where people work. It, it's a significant uh, idea, the public square. Could, could you come up with a, uh, with a bit of a definition, whether, uh, whether academic or just in your, in your own head, off the cuff, 
when when we talk about the public square, what do we mean by that? Man, I think I think you just you just took us there through that really really helpful um, explanation. I think the public square. Um, I'm thinking less of a physical space, so I'm not really thinking about the intersection of you know Salisbury and Lonsdale Road. That though that probably would be one for many reasons. I'm thinking of um, that space in a society really those spaces in a society where people come together to share their religious, philosophical, um, I mean, you just pick your sector. It just goes on and on and on views of reality. So, hey, this is, what, this is what I think about business. This is what I think about art. This is what I think about sports and athletics. This, this is what I think about, and it just goes on and on. Any of those public domains where ideas are discussed and traded with each other, I think is what we're talking about in the public square. I think there are different portals to the public square today. Uh, Twitter and Facebook like seem to be like a, a way of, of accessing the segment of the public square. Um, the actual meeting like locuses in a city, I think would then be government buildings, courthouses, probably museums, theaters, different places where the arts are, are practiced, um, where people come together and are expected, man, will you share? Will you share what you believe, where you're coming from, what you found? Because we as a society, we want to mine the depths of that so we can find what there is to gain. And so we can all have a place where flourishing is possible. It's really helpful. Helps us know what we're talking about. Um, so uh, there's, there's two sides of the coin when we look at engagement in the public square, or we could even say there's two poles on the spectrum, one would be um, you, when you come to engage in the public square, as you just defined it, Thomas, you bring all of who you are into it. So your, your familial history, your, your ethnic and genetic makeup, your, your family of origin, your, your religious and faith background, your values, you bring all of who you are, and that can be fully thrust into the public square. And, and then there's this other pole or other side of the coin that uh, some people would say, yep, you, you come on into the public square and you represent, um, but come on, we're, we're a secular, we're a secular nation. Uh, there's a separation of church and state. You can bring who you are, but religion has no place in the public square. So, so those are kind of the two, uh, um, two sides of the coin, two poles of the spectrum when we look at engaging in the public square. And, and maybe, maybe some of it really comes down, what do we mean by secular? When, when we say in the West primarily that we're, uh, we want to keep it, we want to keep the public square secular, does, does that mean that there's there's no bearing or no place for religion or does that mean that there's no affirmation of a particular religious religious belief by the government but but people can still come in and, and share their particular understandings and convictions so what are your thoughts on that i think there's a canadian philosopher named charles taylor who has uh, done um who's produced some of the most important work on understanding um, what the secular is and what it means to live in a secular society or in our secular 
age. Um, most simply, um, the, the, the word secular is, is, a, is a word we've created to talk, is an adjective to talk about not being connected with religious or spiritual matters. Uh, Taylor comes along and Taylor provides a more robust um, exposition of this adjective in his incredibly important work, Our uh, A Secular Age. And um, there's actually a, a number of um, healthy considerations of that book that are coming up. Um, James K.A. Smith has written a book um, called How Not to Be Secular, which I've heard is a really good reader for accessing the best of Taylor's thought. What Taylor's arguing for is uh, it's, it's an undeniable fact. Secularism has become an important topic in the humanities and social sciences, but there are still disagreements among scholars about um, what exactly it is. Taylor does a great job of really bring into light what do we mean when we use this word secular to talk about a space or a domain that's free of religion and religious ideals. That's good. We, we can drop a link in the show notes to, to it. Um, it's, it's pretty dense as I understand it. I haven't tangled with it directly, but what looks and as I understand it, it's, it's dense. It's a really um, helpful book. I, th- I think you're, I think you're right. I mean, some of the smartest people I look up to, they talk about how they spent a few months over the summer untangling this one book. Um, Taylor, Taylor's quite the thinker from, uh, from, from what little bit I've, I've read. That's good. So, so as we understand it, and, and as people move into the public space, uh, sport, science, school, um, government, uh, what we mean when, when we identify the space as secular is simply that the, the government does not identify or uh, propagate a particular religious view. Um, it means the space is open for people to come and, and contend for their own particular views. It doesn't mean it's free of religion, but what it means is it's free from the government passing down or dictating uh, a particular religious stance. Which is a, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It allows, uh, it allows for freedom of thought. Um, it allows people the, the freedom of conscience to, to believe or not believe uh, as, as they choose. So um, that's really the crux of the argument as we've talked specifically about sport. Um, some people might contend religion has no place in sport and uh and as we dig into this article when we come out of the break we're going to see what what that actually looks like today We've gotten this this broad argument out there. Um, how should we then understand? Is it reasonable to expect somebody to enter into the public square and only to ask them to bring to bring frat facts and professional opinion, divorced from from values or belief? Yeah, you can understand what we're trying to do when when these arguments are made and when these requests are made. Hey, it'd be great 
we, I don't understand religion. I don't, I don't understand, you know, your Hinduism. I don't understand your Islam. I don't understand your Christianity. Why don't you just keep that stuff out of these public policies that we're making or you even as an athlete or a celebrity, when you represent your company or your team, when you come forth, why don't you just not confuse things with religion? Because we want to keep religion and your private beliefs. This isn't about Christianity. Whatever it is, we want to keep that out or we can just have like the real you, the unbothered, the, 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 the irreligious version of you. That's who we really want to hear from. This is that fact value dichotomy or split that has existed in Western culture. Um, it, it's tough to pin down a time. I mean, at least the last 30 or 40 years where people have sought to separate um, beliefs into the private realm of values, which have no bearing on public life. And um, this, is, this is a concept, though you can understand what we're trying to do. This is a concept that is actually impossible to work out. Impossible. Um, the, I think the best place to go here is the, uh, is the Lutheran um, theologian uh, from, from Canada. Now, I think he's, he's rucking around Missouri somewhere. Um, <laughs> he's, uh, is, uh, it's Richard John Newhouse. He wrote a book um, basically on the, uh, the public square um, called The Naked Public Square. And what he was going for in this book on the naked public square, he, was, he simply acknowledged our, our cultural moment. We are trying to keep all of this stuff separated, and it's just, it's just really not working out. It's not working out because we're asking each other to do things that are impossible. It's impossible for the Hindu to come into the public square and to sit down at the legislative seat and to start coming up with policies about how government ought to be run apart from his Hinduism. It's impossible for the person that has certain um, beliefs or convictions about a woman's right to choose to come into an executive chamber and to make laws and to advocate for legislation apart from what she, he or she clearly believes. It's just impossible. We can't separate these things about us. These are actually the most important, unique, and fundamental aspects about us. What we need, instead of trying to ask people to separate their core decision-making and conviction-orienting um, parts of them from their public life, we actually need, uh, we actually need a, an ability to receive each other where they are and to have conversations appreciating the best things about each other and our worldviews and our cultures and critiquing things that just seem to be inconsistent and might not make the most sense. That's what, that's what we really need. Newhouse does a phenomenal job. He actually has a book, The Naked Public Square, Religion and Democracy in America. And what he does in there is actually a case study that can be applied to multiple cultures. So Newhouse and many others would look at the situation and just say, it's understandable what we're trying to achieve here. It, it's, it's just not possible. People cannot separate their... Christianity from their public life. People cannot separate their, separ their secular beliefs from their public life. It leads us to a place where we reflect, you know what, I guess, I guess we're all a bit religious. 
I guess we all have core ideas and core beliefs we hold at a foundational operational level, whether they're beliefs in God or whether they're actually beliefs against the, the possibility of God. That actually functions as a religious set of beliefs. Yeah. Alistair McIntyre used the phrase, a plausibility structure, a web of ideas that helps you make sense of the world. Frankly, we all have one. I think what's going on in such an incredible article like this is we're not really seeing how that uh, dichotomy falls apart, how that wall of separation comes down or that chasm gets filled in. We're simply seeing that it's, it's, it, it's, it's not working where the private value, if you will, of belief in God is, is not only tolerated, but it's actually starting to be celebrated. I think is what the argument article saying at times by people that are very much in the public square um, athletes, which are just some of the biggest icons and celebrities of the day. Daniel, that's just some stuff on the public square. Take us into this article and help us understand what's being said here and maybe some implications for Christianity and sport today. Yeah. The interesting bit is that, that it's a, a public square uh, conversation uh, and faith and values, but it's also a COVID-19 really uh, relevant article as well, because it's actually saying not only has it grown over the last four decades, the presence of uh, sports people publicly identifying as people of faith, in this, in this case as Christians, uh, but it's actually grown even in the last few months, particularly with this organization called Christians in Sports, which works with some of the top sports people in the UK. They've seen, they've seen the, the, the ugliness of coronavirus push top-level sports people in, uh, into faith. So, so what Graham Daniels says, to, to your point, on th- in, in uh, Newhouse's point, it's ridiculous to think that we can separate the person entering the public space from his values and beliefs. Graham Daniels, the leader of Christians in sports says, to say that this, talking about sport, uh, faith, to say that this has no place in professional sport is a barbarian way to think. It is wow. not, it is not a, yeah, amen. It is not a wise way to think because it does not take into account the reality for thousands of sports people and he says, that's why I'm delighted that the culture is changing. That the reality is that uh, for a coach or a player, uh, if you're a Christian, then you are a Christian footballer. If you're, if you're a Muslim, you are a Muslim footballer. If you're a Buddhist, you're a Buddhist football coach. And it's yeah, ridiculous right. to th- just like you are uh, a father, you're a, you're a Muslim father and you're a, you're a Hindu shopkeeper and on down the line and, and you're a Christian, whatever, salesperson or clerk at the checkout counter. It, it, you take who you are and all of who you are, including your faith and your values into your workplace, um, in, into the political sphere where, where you operate. Um, and it's interesting, particularly in the realm of sport, this, this place where identity can be so crushing. You are judged mm. sometimes even on, on your personhood by what you do in football for 90 minutes on the pitch. Wow. You're, you are judged for that or, or for 100 meters 
when you're on the track that, that that's what you get judged by in this topsy turvy mm. world uh, these people are finding something that's deeper and more solid than uh than 90 minutes on a football pitch or, or 100 meters on a track they're, they're finding something that's a better you know, let me let me jump in and just say right there man i, f- I find myself thinking man even if um, someone were not to consider themselves to be religious or even a Christian, they should actually want what you're saying to be true. It's like, man, the idea of having um, something solid and stable outside the topsy-turvy world of performance athletics, that sounds incredibly stabilizing for the human persona. Man, it's like, it's like even, if, even, if, even if I were to disagree with you, I would want you to be right. Because that just sounds like such a better world to live in. I agree. And the reality is any supporter for a football club that's looking in would, would should desire for wow. their, for their players wow. to, to have, have a faith system that, that, that undergirds everything that they, that they do and gives a, gives a rigidity and a solidity uh, behind the, the shakeableness of, of professional sport in particular that that this might be an argument for the reasonableness of religion not even trying to push christianity but the reasonableness for faith would be you know, just just look at how it can it could actually provide stability and even increase performance um wow that's a really fresh frame i'm i'm, I'm actually getting a lot from that that's good yeah so uh so we'll we'll land it here but uh, world-renowned uh, coach for for Liverpool Football Club, Jurgen Klopp. He, uh, he he's a he's a Christian coming out of the uh, German Lutheran tradition, and his quote is that to be a believer, talking about a believer in Jesus, to be a believer, but to not want to talk about it. I don't know how that would work. Uh, That's great. I mean, there, there's a there's significance in the simplicity of that. I don't know how that would work. You, <laughs> this is a foundational thing to who you are, and then for somebody to say, "I'm sorry, you you can't bring that into your you can't actually be that in your profession." I don't know how that would work. <laughs> That's great. The genius of Klopp continues. This is, uh, I feel like there's so much in this conversation, some of which we, we just glanced at and then so much more, which is really significant that, that we haven't even really, really covered here. Um, I just say this has just been particularly refreshing to be um, in, in the COVID chapter right now, but to find like um, something positive that's been stimulated and stirred up um, by what, by what really just seems to be just this nonsensical suffering that the world's been in. Um, that might be a conversation for another day. God that's able to take something that's really tragic like this and even use it to, in this case, draw out one good thing that we finite people are able to see and appreciate. I appreciate that, Daniel. I agree, man. Um, and, and an additional point to all this is that more broadly across the UK, different publications, different secular publications are, uh, are reporting that 25% of people in the UK have tuned in or joined or been a part of some religious uh, experience in the last 
nine weeks since since COVID started. So, so wow. just as professional sport is shaky and uh, and topsy turvy, life during COVID is too, and, and people are looking for something uh, to to stabilize in the midst of it. So, so for us, when we when we think of the reasonableness and relevance of church, uh, church in culture, you and I as church local church leaders, just as we're going to fight for the right for people of faith to, to be allowed to be people of faith in the public square. We're also going to fight for the right for people who have no interest in faith to bring that into the public square as well. Just, just as you said, um, uh, an, agnostic, an agnostic person needs to bring the values and the belief yeah. system that that brings and comes with into what they're doing. And we're going to fight for their right to be able to do it. That's beautiful, Daniel. Yeah, because we believe that all people have something meaningful and worth worthwhile to contribute. That's, that's part of what it what it means to be people that um, have a, a pretty strong belief in the uh, dignity and worthwhileness of of human life. Um, it, it means um, I the 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 agreement then isn't um, I'll I'll fight for you and protect you if you agree with me. The the real deal is whoever you are, wherever you wherever you are, whatever you believe, even if it's opposed and antithetical to what we're holding, we want to fight for your right and ability to be heard because we think you are valuable and you have something worthwhile to share. I, th- I guess the biggest thing that we're going for here is let's just be honest about that fact. We all believe things in a deep way that really change the way we live. I guess that's really all we're calling for here. Let's just let's just kind of come out into the open with it and just say it. Um, whether it be I believe in God or I've wanted to believe in God, but I struggle to for these reasons right here. That would just be a really rich and meaningful society or if you like public square to be hanging out in when people are walking around with a tremendous amount of sincerity about what they believe and even humility to admit what they're confused about. That's a great way to land it. Um, do you want to just ex- extend a, a thanks to to Matt Dickinson for, for even writing this article? I think it's impressive and I'm sure he's going to get some blowback from somebody for, for even writing this article in this day and age. So I think it's cool. And uh, just uh, cheer on uh, Graham Daniels and Christians in sport for the good work that they're doing in this season. So we we continue to be thankful for you guys joining us for these dialogues of church and culture. Um, We'll we'll continue to to, um, walk through this COVID-19 crisis and its implications together. And we'd love for you to continue to subscribe and share with friends. We're online, www.thepublictruth.co.uk. And you can find us on social media at The Public Truth. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you again next week. Have a good one.